Welcome to Junior L's and Now What? Main topic episode 39, ultimate episode 107. So for this podcast, I'm going to start with a story. Back when I was 19 years old, I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I served it down in the southern Alabama, panhandle of Florida area of the United States. So I was amongst people who spoke more or less the same language, and by that I mean, you know, English, but different, you know, dialects and and, uh, accents and the like. Anyways, uh, for those of you who don't know, a mission is typically two years, and I'd been out on my mission for the better part of a year. A lot of people down in that area are professed Christians, uh, predominantly Baptists and Methodists by faith. And when you're in that kind of an environment, preaching a different kind of Christianity, and by different kind, I mean not the one they're accustomed to hearing, you often hear things like the differences between your faith and theirs, or the differences between your faith and what they understand the faith was when Christ was here. A good example of that is when Christ was here, it often speaks about one of his miracles where he turned water into wine. Yet in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints now, in the Doctrine and Covenants section 89, there's a thing called the Word of Wisdom that says don't drink alcohol. So to a lot of people, that seemed to be a contradiction. And throughout the course of my mission, those type of things, perceived or real contradictions in people's eyes, would usually just roll off my back, as the saying goes, assuming I'm saying it right. But there was one that, interestingly enough, was not a question that was specifically asked of me, but it was one I asked myself, and that was with regards to the name of the church. In both the New Testament as well as the Book of Mormon, it's discussed that when Christ established his church, he would name the church after himself because it is his church, the church of Jesus Christ. It wasn't the church of an individual person or a mortal. It was his church. And yet when Joseph Smith reorganized the church in 1830, it was called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And to me, there's often this phrase that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I felt that the church and the gospel should be that way as well. And I was very concerned, or at least confused, why the name was different. And I remember going to my mission president. I'd been out on my mission for about a year. And when you're serving a mission, you don't have a job. Your entire job or your entire time is dedicated to preaching the gospel, studying and discussing. And so I had a radically better knowledge of the the gospel within that first year than I'd had my entire life. So I really felt that I was truly coming up to speed. And yet this just kept tickling the back of my mind. So I went to the mission president and asked him, and he gave me an answer that was very unsatisfactory to me. Maybe it's because I'm too analytical. Maybe because it just didn't strike the right chord with me. But throughout the remainder of my mission, that always sat at the back of my mind. And I remember praying about it. I remember studying the scriptures on it. And All throughout my mission, it was just sitting there. It was never pulling my testimony down. It wasn't making me disbelieve. It wasn't pointing out an inconsistency or something that declared this as false. 
It was just something that bothered me because I did not understand it. And at the end of my mission, not too long before that two years was up, it finally came to me. I finally understood why the name of the church was different and why it was okay. So for the remainder of this podcast, and you'll understand why, I want to share with you what I came to understand. The first point I need to make before I draw this into an analogy is that the church, or in this particular situation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is not the gospel of Christ, nor is the gospel of Christ the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They are joined, but one is a vehicle to help us to live the other. Now, admittedly, there's always a lot more to it than that. But this, to me, was the beginning of the understanding. This is what opened my eyes. So let me draw an analogy and a comparison here that will hopefully help you understand what I came to understand. Imagine for the moment that you're in a world that's, that's full of schools, which we are. And the highest level education that you can get is typically at a university or a college. These institutions teach a variety of different types of education. But there is a lot of different colleges. There's a lot of different universities. And there's a lot of different perspectives on how to teach different topics. But there is one constant. And that constant is that certain things like the science of mathematics does not change. The way it's taught might be different. The people who teach it are different. And the level of understanding at the individual level or at the colleges or universities is also different. But mathematics is the same no matter what, no matter where you are. You may think at times you're breaking the laws of mathematics, but what that probably means is either you're doing it wrong or you never really fully understood it to begin with. So this is like the gospel. The gospel of Christ is like mathematics. In fact, I would even argue they're intertwined. But the point here is that it does not change. It remains a constant. Our level of understanding and how it is taught can change. But the gospel itself does not. Like universities, the church has people as leaders and as teachers. At universities... They, the leadership, are looking for people with certain levels of education and experience to be their teacher. In the church, God, or Christ, looks for different attributes. Education is certainly not a bad one, but it is certainly not a prerequisite either. If we look at the New Testament, his very first people who became his apostles were fishermen, whose education was probably minimal, and whose knowledge and experience was limited to their trade. And yet they became the most important people in the church at the time. And this particular lesson has been carried all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another thing that is similar between the church and a university is education itself. There are two parts to this. One part is you are not just simply taught something at the highest level right out of the gate. You typically start at some foundational level and then grow and progress throughout the different levels. You could say Mathematics 101, Mathematics 201, and other types of classes. Within the gospel, it is the same way. We're not expected to understand 
everything that we're taught immediately. It is fascinating to me that a single set of books, the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament within the Bible, the Book of Mormon, etc., these pages together combine as less than 3,000 pages. And yet every single time you read them, you will glean something new. In the New Testament, it refers to a place, the three heavens, the celestial, the telestial, and the terrestrial. Yet it doesn't really go into explicit detail in helping us understand that. It doesn't come later until the Doctrine and Covenants. But if you look at the time span from the time that the New Testament was published to the time the Doctrine and Covenants were released, we're talking on the magnitude of thousands of years-ish. It is important for us to understand that we must build. Another thing is that it is important as well for teachers to learn. They're not just given the knowledge. They're expected to learn and understand and to use the knowledge, which by de facto means that they are going to be imperfect because some of the greatest lessons we learn are from our mistakes. And so the second element of this knowledge comes from the fact that our highest level of the education system or in the perspective of the church and God is not going to just simply tell us what to do, how to do it, and where to go. Typically, it's guided to those things, and it's built. And therefore, there is an expectation of mistakes. There's an expectation of failures, truth be told. But that doesn't make it any less true, nor does it make it the, uh, the wrong source. Another element of this that I have found very interesting is the concept of the many-to-one. In the world of education, there are many different types of colleges and universities, all professing to teach, teach the right thing. The same is true within religion. There are many churches claiming to teach the right thing, some Christianity, some not. Yet what is the truth? Who has the truth? Where do we go? Have you ever pondered the concept of what does it mean to be an expert, to be a professional, to be the best in your field? Who is to judge that? You know, it's an interesting parallel to a scene later in the show, My Hero Academia, an anime, where the, the class, class 1A, these 20 or so students are witnessing an individual who's a higher classman than them performing some amazing arts with their power and their physical abilities and their skills. And they're looking at this as if he's an amazing person. But one of his peers says that they're looking at him just the same as a person who is not an athlete would admire an amazing athlete. They don't see all of the work that goes into it. They don't see all the hours and time that goes into it. Nor do they really have the ability to judge that person's skill because they are not on par or above that par. So then that begs the question, how do you know that an individual is an expert? I would argue this. The only one who can say if you're an expert yourself is one who knows more than you. Then that builds upon itself, and eventually, you're going to obtain a person who claims to be an expert. No one else knows more than they do, so no one else can confirm if they're an expert or not. Therefore, to claim to be the most expert at an individual thing, I would argue, is almost paradoxical, an oxymoron. It is not possible to prove just like it is not possible to prove which church is the single church to follow. 
That is why it is so important to understand that the leadership of a church, even more so than a leadership of a university, must be guided by a deity, by God himself, because he doesn't have to claim to be an expert. God is God because of the laws of God. He must follow the laws, and the laws must follow him. It is a circular event between the two, and therefore he is the ultimate expert. And therefore, even if the people who follow are imperfect, even if the system that is built around the perfect science, the mathematics, the gospel, is imperfect, that doesn't mean it is the wrong one. It merely means that just like us as individuals, the institution is growing and is expanding and is experiencing and is progressing. Another thing that I neglected to mention is that like a university, a church should be something that embodies every element of our being. In universities and colleges, we are typically taught things that transcend just the mind. We are typically taught physical education and emotional, psychological education and social education and beyond. A church should do the same thing because a mind with a decrepit body is a mind that cannot be used to its maximum potential and vice versa. Your spiritual, your emotional, and your psychological well-beings are all equally on par with that. So to bring this back full circle, and, and there are many other elements of this, by the way, that I do plan on bringing up or discussing at some future date. But the key here is not to convince you that one particular church is right or wrong, or one particular university is right or wrong. It's not even to convince you that this revelation that I had about understanding this question that I had is right or wrong. What I'm trying to convey here is one of the basic principles. On the previous podcast that I shared, I shared Ether 12.6, one of the most important verses to me. And in it, at the very end, it says that you shall not receive a witness until after the trial of your faith. What I've shared with you is my journey on the trial of my faith. Now, a trial does not have to be something that causes you pain or heartache. A trial can be a question that's unanswered. A trial can be something you don't understand, but bugs you. Lots of things bug me, and I have a lot of trials, some of which are self-imposed. The important part here is, initially, I had the question. I suffered through or experienced a trial in which I did not understand my question. I did not understand the answer. I did not know exactly where to go. So what did I do? I prayed, and I studied, and I experienced. And eventually, I gained the witness. I gained this understanding. Now, a witness isn't necessarily something where a person comes up and says, here is the light, or you see an angel. A witness can be a massive variety of things, but the key to a witness for me boils down to what the Holy Ghost can do for you, and that is a change of heart. It triggers something inside your soul that makes a difference. It improves the being of who you are. So to that point, I want to pin this on the third eternal level up enhancement. And that is going to be, learn to see or be a witness 
through the trial of your faith. So to my quote, what if the only way to achieve your maximum potential is through trial? Now what? Persevere through your trials until you gain the witness and then do it again. The goal here is to continue to build. One trial ending in a witness is not the end of the journey. It is the end of a journey. One of the most perfect analogies of that is the number system itself. Between zero and one, there is an infinite number of decimal places. There is no end to reach. But assume for the moment that you climb from zero to one and you've overcome that hurdle, that challenge, that trial, you now have the next one to face. This is not something to produce despair, though. This is something to produce hope for all eternity to all eternity, from one to two to three without end. To conclude with, I have a quote. We only live once. That is wrong. We only die once, but we live every day. Smile, be happy, remember that you're worth it. And almost more important than that, if not most important, remember Jesus Christ. He is there for you. He suffered for you. And he is the cause of why you should smile. Thank you for listening.